Okay, ladies, gentlemen, goofballs, and scumbags, whether you're over there in Tokyo watching a bunch of different sports, you know how we get down. Skeet shooting, football, badminton. basketball. Oh, badminton, see, you got it. Whether you're over here uh, in the North America, or as they call it CONCACAF, watching the Gold Cup, y'all know what time it is. We are back at it again. Episode 52? 52. 52? Damn, 52? Look at that. 52 <laughs> weeks in a year. 52 episodes of the Football Misfits. I am your host, LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. My Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Black Nasty. And it is the summertime. I still am, a.k.a. El Pistolero. And I am sitting here, of course, with none other than Mr. Misfits himself, the man behind the Misfits. Y'all know him as Ronnie. There is no other. We also know him as Ronnie. Ronnie, say what's good for the one time. Hi, everyone. Um, how are we doing? Stay strong, be brave. While we're staying strong and being brave, we are also lucky enough to be joined by Mr. Datadesk himself, the football encyclopedia, Wikipedia, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if you're lying, he will know. Mr. Spencer Povich, uh, y'all know him as Spencer, and we also know him as Spencer. Spencer, say it was good for the one time. What's going on, everybody? Peace and love. Peace and love. Let's go, Encyclopedia Spenstanica. Yes, sir. <laughs> I might like that more than Spencer Povich, I'll be honest. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Keeping that one. Go ahead, buddy. Mr. Misfits at it again. Okay. Let's get right into the, the shits, if you will. Yep, we call it the shits. Uh, plenty of footy. We got women's ball. We got men's ball. We got gold cup. We got BS. We got golazos. All type of stuff. We should go right ahead and get started with the uh, favorite match of the week. Ronnie, do you want to go first? I'm going to go to Tokyo in the land of the rising sun for the quarterfinal match between Spain and Ivory Coast. The winner of that match would have played the winner of Japan, New Zealand. And got to give kudos where it belongs. LV said off rip that Ivory Coast were a dark horse. And the matches really pushed Spain to the brink. Right away, Eric Bailly got the game started with a goal in the 10th minute. Dani Olmo tied the game at one. And that was literally all that was it for this game up until the added time, 90th minute. Max Alain Gradel scored to put Ivory Coast up 2-1. And I'm thinking, all right, this game is over. Ivory Coast are through the semifinal. They'll play Japan or New Zealand. But Spain brought out Rafa Mira off the bench. Currently at Wolves, Sevilla wants his ass. He scores a goal a couple minutes later, which I think might have been his first touch of the match. And it's 2-2. We're going to extra time. So in extra time, one of the first things that happened is a penalty. A handball in the box. I think Eric Bailly was the culprit. But Mikel Oyazabal, he converts 3-2 Spain. And then from there, it was Rafa Mir's show. He took Spain and he elevated them to a 5-2 win. And scoring a pair of goals in four minutes to cap off a hat trick in about a half hour or so. So Rafa Mir, definitely player of the game in this one. Spain, five. Ivory Coast, two. It was kind of like the Euros in the sense where Spain, they were good, but they just couldn't convert. They couldn't get goals off. And if they did, it would all end in draws. But when it got to the knockouts, they brought out heavy artilleries. And yes, albeit Ivory Coast were a couple minutes away from moving on, 
Spain, they held it down. They definitely outplayed Ivory Coast in extra time, but we'll see how their semifinal against Japan goes. And right away, I'll say whoever wins that match wins gold. But we'll talk more about that in a little bit. LV, your match of the week? Yeah, now, uh, real quick on the Spain thing. It looks, it kind of felt like the match against Croatia, except Spain was the, the team this time to score. Bingo. Late. And then uh, just replace uh, Alvaro Morata with Rafa Mir, and you get the same sort of result. Spain wins. Uh, wild game. Appreciate that guy for putting on a hat trick, but also, fam, how are you just going to do that? Like, I, w- I was about to be right in my prediction, but it's all good. Anyways, my match of the week stays in the Olympics, just uh, at the women's tournament. This one came in a quarterfinal clash between Australia and mm. her former colonizer, Great Britain. As Ronnie has been mentioning uh, on this pod and, and pods before, Team GB should also be called the Ellen White Show. Uh, Shorty has been running the game and the tournament, scoring goals left, right, center. Here, you get one. Here, you get one. And it was absolutely no different uh, against Australia. Although Australia did open the scoring, courtesy of uh, Alana Kennedy, towards the end of the first half in the 35th minute. Now, mind you, going into halftime, it was 1-0 to Australia. And based on the way the half went, it seemed like, hey, listen, this game might finish 1-1 going to extra time. Might finish 2-1 to Australia, and that's that. But no. In the second half alone, there were three goals, two of them coming from Ellen White. Boom, pow! Right out the gates in the, at, at halftime, a quick little brace to put in, Great Britain in front. Then Samantha Kerr leveled things up in the 89th, bringing it right back, sort of like the Spain Ivory Coast game, to tie things up at 2 2 as the ladies went into extra time. And from extra time, we figured Ellen White would continue to put the show on, but that was not to be as Mary Fowler and then Samantha Kerr again for Australia bagged goals in the 103rd and the 106th minute, respectively, putting Australia up at that point for 2 Ellen White said, I got something to say about that late on. And the 115th minute getting the hat-trick goal for herself. But that was not enough, as Australia would advance after 120 minutes, 3-4. to four. They move on to the semifinals, where they will play against Sweden. So that was my match of the week. Uh, Seven-goal thriller, Ellen White. Bows out very gracefully. Hell of a tournament for her. But it wasn't enough. Australia moving forward. Yeah, you could consider this a, a bit of an upset here because the way the bracket shaped up, it looked like Great Britain might have ran the table. Yeah, and I think we said it at the beginning. When the tournament began, uh, we could see GB going all the way, especially if the bracket favored them. The bracket did, in fact, favor them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Australia saying, let's uncolonize ourselves. Wow. Yeah, but we'll see if Great Britain are able to qualify for Paris 2024 and England. Let's see how they'll do at the next Euros coming up next summer and the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And I think the good thing, this this match just sort of showed, um, I mean, if we want, we can just get right into the Olympics. Uh, but uh, sticking with this match in particular, I think it just kind of shows the sort of quality um, within the women's tournament especially this season or this year. We knew who the favorites were. We've seen high-scoring games, but everybody's scoring goals. Nobody seems to be safe, uh, whether it be powerhouses like GB or USA. It seems like the competition is sort of, I wouldn't say level, but at this point in the tournament, you're just seeing, you're just seeing it could be anybody's match. And uh, on the day, it was Australia's. 
they came to they came to play and they had more will towards the end of the match and you saw that in extra time gb just looked out of it ellen white did pretty much everything she could but australia was the better team yeah and australia are in semi-final for the first time ever in the olympics and in the olympics as a whole and women's football in general um Yes, you have you have your regular favorites like USA most of the time, and then you also have other European powers like Sweden, Germany, who aren't at these Olympics, um, Brazil out in South America. I'm starting to see a lot more countries actually investing and giving a shit about women's football. The Dutch, for example, we're gonna get into that. Before recently, their women's football history was pretty much non-existent. They won the last Euros back in, oh, in 2017 when they hosted it. And then after that, again, they finished in the final runners-up at the World Cup. And they're at the Olympics now for the first time ever. It goes to show you that women's football around the world is on a rise. The gap yeah. between the U.S. and other nations is shrinking. It goes back to kind of a point, um, going off what you said, it goes back to a point of when we had a, our guest a couple episodes back, Maria Isabel, not per se in the women's game, but how she was mentioning about, you know, teams that don't have the biggest name uh, or nations that don't have the biggest name showing up and becoming, you know, good or competing against these big, the big teams. And, you know, now more than ever, you're seeing that in the men's game and as we're seeing here in the women's game as well. Right. A lot of nations are on the come-ups. And I first realized this really when Japan won the World Cup. Yeah, in stunning fashion against the United States. Right, and then you have teams who would never think would qualify for major tournaments qualifying. Like Jamaica was at the last Women's World Cup. Zambia are at the Olympics. So, yeah. But on to the actual games themselves. We did see the end of the group stage and the beginning of the knockout stage. Pretty much sort of kind of status quo. I do want to mention one quick point in the game between Chile and Japan. Japan won the game 1-0. Mina Tanaka scored the lone goal in the 77th minute. Chile had a chance to score early in the second half. The goal wasn't allowed. The ball crawled oh, in the back of the net, but the referee of the motherland, Melissa Borjas, she signaled no goal, play on. There is VAR at this tournament, but not even a flinch, not even a hint of, all right, let's, you should go check this. To the point where the Chilean captain... Christian Endler, also goalkeeper at PSG, she was lived it. Like, oh, so VAR is going to work some of the times, but not all the times? Yeah, it deservedly so. I mean, this was short of shades of 2010 World Cup England versus Germany when Frank Lampard scored. Literally. The top of the post clearly went in, clearly crossed the line. And this one was no different. Absolutely crossed the line. You could see it clear as day. And what I'm shocked about is, forget VAR, where's the goal line technology? That's what I'm saying. It's like it turned off. I, I I didn't get it. I understand her frustration. I would be just as mad. Facts. Because that could have put Chile in a position where they could have at least been one of the best third place teams. Absolutely. And just it being that blatant, it's 2021. Like there should be some sort of alarm that goes off or a wire that trips as soon as you cross the line, which I'm sure we've seen that there is. We've seen technology as accurate as it shows you down to the millimeter what part of the ball if it's on the line or whether it isn't on the line and right, so, you so know, ridiculous to ridiculous to see i'd be heated too deservedly so so the fact that that didn't even get a look this is like i, I would be un understandably upset but that sees chile out of the tournament without a point 
they do walk away with the only goal they scored against Canada. But again, when we're looking at the future of football, Chile could be a women's team on the rise. Again, if you have your best player playing in PSG, that says a lot. But group in is Great Britain on top after a draw with Canada. The Maple Leafs finished second, and then Japan finished in third. Group B pretty much finished status quo. I think the only difference here is Zambia, despite losing one nothing to Brazil, just one nothing, they managed to get onto third position while China got walloped eight to two in their game. A trio of braces. Yeah, man. The Netherlands don't discriminate. Everybody gets a goal. We don't care what part of the world you're from. Lynette Bierenstein, Lika Martins, and Vivian Miedema scored braces against China. So Netherlands and Brazil advanced. No third-place team from this group. And Group G, the U.S. and Australia. People woke up early for that match, only for it to end scoreless. <laughs> I was not one of them, thankfully. <laughs> I was watching Brazil, Zambia. Sweden beat New Zealand 2-0. That set up some of these matches. Elvie already gave you the scoop on Great Britain, Australia. Sweden took care of the hosts 3-1. Goals coming throughout the match from Chelsea's captain, Magdalena Eriksson. Stina Blackstinius, again, she scares me. In, in the in the best way, if I was again, if I were a footballer on the pitch and I saw Cena Blackstinius, I would be nervous. Yes, her and Kosovar Aslani scoring. The quarterfinals began with Canada and Brazil. Elvi, Brazil. Unfortunately, they ah. fell on penalties for three after a scoreless two hours. Worth noting that Canada's lone miss came from their record goal scorer, and women's football record goal scorer, Christine Sinclair. Everyone else for Canada made theirs. Marta, Debinia, and Erika scored their goals, but Andresa Alves da Silva and Rafaeli missed their pens, which saw Brazil get KO'd. They would play the winner of Netherlands-USA. Another match that ended in penalties, but more goals scored in regular time. Vivian Miedema, who is wiping the floor. She is running. I don't think anyone is touching Miedema's 10 goals scored at this tournament. Miedema's been, oh man, an absolute. Listen, you know you know, at the Footy Misfits, we are some Barbara Bonda stands, but if we're being all the way objective here, Miedema was the best goal scorer I've seen on the men and women's in the entire Olympics. She was putting them things away. How many goals? Ten? She walks away with ten goals this tournament. The two closest are already eliminated. Ellen White and Barbara Bonda, both with six. On six, yeah. So the next next closest who's still in the competition is Sam Kerr with five. Yeah, not even close. She's got double that. Just an absolute monster, putting things away. We've seen, as Ronnie mentioned, how Netherlands did China. We saw what they did to Zambia. <laughs> they don't discriminate, and neither does she, clearly. She put the Netherlands up top early. Ten minutes later, Sam Mewis drew the U.S. level. Right after that goal came in, Lynn Williams gave USA the lead, and they held on to the lead for the rest of the first half and the beginning stages of the second before Miedema scored again. 
Now, when it came into penalties, Miedema missed the Dutch's first. Hate to see it. You do. And then Aniek Nguyen also missed the penalty. Megan Rapino netted the game winner and the penalties ending 4-2 via the spot kick. I felt bad for Nguyen, though, because when you see it, she tripped in the run-up. Yeah. And then what she did, I'm like, she, she couldn't get back. She It was just kaputs. Well, for me, two things about this match. Well, talk to me. First things first, the amount of goals that were called offsides in that <laughs> match alone, fam, it could have finished like eight to six. It was ridiculous. I've never, I mean, I've seen it, but this was, was unbelievable. Just a hair offsides or a step offsides. So many chances late on. Um, this was definitely one of the more entertaining matches uh, of the Olympics for me. You just didn't know who was going to take it. Netherlands was taken into the U.S. early on, and then the U.S. would come back for a 10-minute period, and they would just go back and forth. Uh, the U.S. <laughs> subbed on three attackers, and they looked the way that the game was going on, those three attackers looked tired after 10 minutes having to run up and down and defend and then do, run up back and attack and counter. Um, so there's that. The other thing, U.S. goalkeeper Alyssa Nair in that oh, penalty man. shootout. Oh, nothing man. but kudos to her. Uh, shades of our boy Emmy Martinez at the Copa America. Although much less shit talking, she kept it quiet. <laughs> but the but saves, she saves is, the talking. Oh, absolutely. I mean, during the match, before extra time, and even before, and in, even into the penalties, the amount of saves that she made, big saves. Um, hats off to her. Absolutely killed it there. And then, yeah, one last thing, actually. Megan Rapinoe's penalty to finish the game. Now, that was class. That joint, the keeper would have never saved that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Little, put a little bend on it. Absolutely beautiful to see. But rough and tough for Netherlands and Miedema. The only goal that would have mattered for her. Unfortunately, she missed it. One point on the Netherlands. I didn't realize this until I saw this on socials. The Netherlands came into this match cocky as fuck. Ooh. I saw quotes from some of these players. Lika Martins, she just won the Champions League with Barcelona. Before the game, per um, the Telegraph, the Dutch version of the Telegraph, quote, it is no longer the unbeatable USA that everyone looks up to. We have a lot of respect for them, absolutely, but we think this is the tournament. We are going to kick them out. We're definitely not in awe of them anymore. Mm-hmm. And then Danielle Vandendonk, she said, <laughs> she came with the gusto. This is after the game against China, by the way. We have scored eight, which I think is a good gesture to show that we are not afraid of America. Let them keep their form because in my eyes, they are not very strong now. Even though on paper, she has a point, but again, you set this shit too soon. And somehow I feel like they have the best for last, but maybe they are not the best at all at this tournament. I don't yeah. know if Abby Wambach saw this, but um, the way she gave New Zealand a heads up, she might have gave the Dutch a heads up too. Because <laughs> hey, to be me. honest, it's true that the U.S. haven't been playing all that great this tournament, but you're saying the, the quiet stuff out loud. You should be like, okay, we respect this opponent. It's going to be a good game. May the best team win, shit like that. But no, she came out here with smoke. Yep, and the smoke was <laughs> delivered uh, in the opposite direction from the U.S., in fact. But it's the crazy thing about- that Martins missed a penalty in, during the game. Just saying. Ooh, wee. The pressure. 
Yeah, you should you should have, you should have saved that shit talk for later. But um, the the sad thing about this match is the fine margins in which that it went down to, and Netherlands could have very very well walked away with a win, um, counting the goals that were offsides we mentioned before, just the near saves from Alyssa Nair. It just didn't go their way. But not scoring that penalty and talking that shit definitely doesn't help your case, though. Yeah, man, karma bit her in the ass. But this sets up USA versus Canada in the semifinal. Last time these two teams played at the Olympics was at the semifinal stage back in 2012. The other semifinal will be a rematch of Group G play, Australia and Sweden. So, by the way, three of the four teams in the semis are from Group G. Yeah, and that's that's huge. I guess it just, it just shows the quality of that group. And we saw it in full force uh, during the group play, Sweden whipping on... Uh, USA, USA whipping on New Zealand, and then Australia putting in that work. Oh wait, but one one thing real quick on the women's side, I don't know. I think I got Sweden. They look confident and, to win. I mean, that was what I was gonna ask you. You got Sweden to win the gold. That's Sweden for gold. I think they out of everybody left over, they look the most confident. US has been sh- not shaky, but has, has had shaky moments. They did very well for themselves in knocking out the Netherlands. But I think I got Sweden. Yeah, I'm not. I'm right there with you. Um, of these four teams, Sweden have been the strongest. I, I already told you how I feel about Stina Blackstinius, but she's not alone though. Lena Herting, who also get off goals, Fridolina Rolfo as well, and then I mentioned um Aslani. Their leaders on the Swedish side, they can give Australia a run for their money, as they did in the group game, which ended four two. But if Sam Kerr wakes up on that bullshit, she might make Sweden, you know, have a bit of a hard time. But I got Sweden in the final. The other game, USA-Canada. Again, USA have been a bit shaky, like you mentioned. There was no need for their game against Australia and scoreless. And if they advance in the final against Sweden, Sweden takes care of it. But I can see Canada advances to the final too. Yeah, So, and as we mentioned before, it's anybody's, anybody's tournament, which is, you know, you love to see. Yes, sir. So with that being said, let's go to the other football competition at Tokyo 2020, the men. Yes, sir. Group stage ended around about the same time. Ivory Coast drew Germany 1-1 to join Brazil in the next round. Brazil put three goals on Saudi Arabia for Charleston Brace and Mateus Cunha scoring. Group D, Egypt beat Australia 2-0. Biggest shocker, of, uh, I think, was Egypt yeah, beating Australia 2-0. After seeing Australia be Argentina 2-0, and then seeing Argentina be Egypt 1-0, I thought, I thought it was quick maths, but Egypt said, nah, I got something for you. And uh, yeah, helped me get my prediction right. They did. Mikel Merino gave Spain the group win in their draw against Argentina, who finished third. And you, you literally called this group as it ended. Spain wins, Egypt second, Argentina third, Australia are going back home. Yes, sir. And the, just how close this group was, Spain winning the group on five points after a draw, like you mentioned, against Argentina. And then Egypt on four, with Argentina tied on points, and then Egypt just edging them slightly on GD. So it's a wild, wild finish. Very entertaining stuff. Big up to Egypt for giving me giving me that, uh, that correct prediction. But um, on to Group B. Uh, where we saw a wild run of fixtures uh, and and as South Korea topped the group on six points with New Zealand just behind them, South Korea took a huge W, I'm sorry, Ronnie, to Ronnie's hometown, Honduras, just getting disrespectful with it at this point. I think they 
maybe don't like the footy misfits. I don't know what it is, but they didn't have to do that. And then Romania, New Zealand finishing nil-nil to give New Zealand the uh, four points and a second place finish there. Yeah, man. Um, I woke up early for this one, and that's when I was like, I'm, I'm done watching games at four in the morning. What they um, saying? How to how to make it in? The, uh, how I met your mother? No decision made after two a.m. is a good one. Yeah, that that was definitely not a good one. Um, that game was over before it started. I don't really know what else to say, but um, I was offended. That's all I'm gonna say. I was offended. As you should be. It seems like they South Korea just don't must not like the footy misfits. And Mexico I'm, I'm gave them an ass whooping themselves. Mexico finished second place in Group A. However. They defeated South Africa 3-0. Alexis Vega, Luis Romo, and Henry Martin scoring for Mexico. But it was Japan who gave France an absolute ass-whooping for nothing. Wait, plenty of those in this, in this group. I don't know what's going on. A lot of chicken left out the freezer. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. And it was a France side who, I don't know, they just kind of packed it up already. Japan yeah. watched their opponents, finished with three wins, nine points, the only team to do it. Yeah, France conceding three goal, at least three goals in every match they played, with two of them being four, four, one, and four nil ass whoopings respectively. Could you imagine if that GD went on to the quarterfinal? Sheesh. Be glad it didn't, because they didn't deserve it. <laughs> they did not come to play. With their no, own, but like, I could blame a lot of reasons. They didn't come to play. The club teams didn't let go of some of their players, which they should have. But neither here nor there and uh, yeah they're going back home um and i mentioned south korea got the beats handed to them by mexico they managed to get three goals off to south korea's one at the end of the first 45 and then enemy martin and sebastian cordova bagged themselves doubles each to elevate this game to a 6-3 huang Weijo scored in at a time of the second half and another consolation goal if you will 6-3 mexico winners egypt they fell to brazil one nothing cunha matias cunha again he scored for brazil assisted by richarlison other than that this game was pretty much boring so i'm sorry to whoever watched this boring. Um, i already told you about spain defeating the ivory coast 5-2 in what could have been the game of the tournament, but there were so many games this tournament, but that might be the one up to this point. And then Japan defeating New Zealand on penalties 4-2 after a 0-0-120. That sets up quarterfinals, Japan, Spain, Mexico, Brazil. That is a rematch of the 2012 Olympic final. And I think it's anybody's, anybody's win here um anybody can do it nobody's been particularly incredible except maybe you could say japan having not lost the game yet um i don't know i i something about mexico mexico playing with a lot of confidence i could see them going far i know you mentioned that whoever wins between spain and japan will be the gold medalist i might beg to differ i don't know uh mexico and brazil i could see mexico beating brazil and and maybe meddling in gold perhaps but I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna rock, and I'm going to say Mexico advance over Brazil, which would be, could call it an upset, maybe, but Mexico. I don't know. Over. At this level, I don't know because yeah, these I, are yeah, the last two gold medalists. Right, I agree. And, and, and the fact that Mexico's been playing with a bunch of confidence, they pretty much, you know, smoked their group. Um, and so I'm going Mexico to, to, to take gold here. I think they can beat Brazil, and I think they can beat whoever comes out the other side. 
I feel like you can say that about anybody in the final four. No, you're right. So my take really ain't saying much. <laughs> you're 100 percent right. I just like the way Japan has been playing. They've been cooking everybody. They could probably keep do that against Spain, but yep. Spain for themselves, like I mentioned earlier, they might have had games where it could have been an easy win for them, but they made it difficult for themselves. But the quarterfinal, like you like you mentioned, it mirrored Croatia versus Spain in the Euro. And then you look at the other side, like. The last two Olympic champions. I think in Brazil's case, Brazil to me seemed to be the most uh, balanced team offensively and defensively. Their games looked the, le the least crazy in terms of uh, we saw that one nil finish over Egypt. Uh, it was a boring game, but it was sound defensively, and they got their goal in the first half and took it from there. We saw them. We've seen them score plenty of goals as well. Uh, so they looked the most sound, but. Yeah, Mexico playing with a lot of confidence, as we mentioned, scoring goals up the ass, giving South Korea the absolute beats. Um, man, I mean, you're absolutely right. I try to make my take sound fancy, but it literally can't. Any, it's anybody's tournament to win. Literally. And fun fact, the gold medal has been in Latin America since 2004. Jeez! Argentina winning in Athens and Beijing, Mexico winning in London, and Brazil winning in Rio de Janeiro. So we might could see a fifth straight Olympics in Latin America. We could see a European team, Spain, the only European team. Or we could see an Asian team win it for the first time ever. I'd be happy for, for all of these, honestly. I really, I can't pick. I'd be cool with all of these. Whoever makes it to the final and wins medals, would, they would all be deserving of it. But yeah, I'm we'll going to hold firm to what I said to start the tournament. Spain wins gold. And speaking of gold... There's an entire tournament named after it. Over here in the CONCACAF on the Western Hemisphere. So I have things to say about this. Yes, go ahead. Um, we're recording during the final. Absolutely. And Mexico seems to be putting the beats on the USA, despite it currently being goalless at the time of recording. Correct. I could argue, I don't know if y'all would agree with me, that this is the final that we got. It's not the final we deserve, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's totally fair to say. You could also say it was the final that we expected. That, definitely. The final that we probably were going to get no matter what, which is even ridiculous to think about. These two times, even if these two sides drag their feet through the fire just to get to this final, because these two teams in their semifinals were abhorrent. Who do you want to start with first, the U.S. or Mexico? Um, let's go ahead and, uh, let's, let's do the U.S. Uh, they played Qatar, who we mentioned, this is their inaugural Gold Cup. They're in Baitiz, and, uh, they really took the U.S. down to the wire. And boy, was that game not the funnest to watch. It wasn't, but it had its moments. Gotta give kudos to Matt Turner for keeping the U.S. in this game between the sticks. Hassan Al-Khaidos. Homeboy had a penalty that he sent back to Doha. I don't know what he was trying to do. <laughs> it's going to land by the time the World Cup kicks off. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> he tried to kick that shit to the next semifinal stadium. <laughs> hey, man. This was in Austin, Texas. That was in Houston, Texas. You might have a point. I think he made it. <laughs> but that being said, Qatar, they looked too, like, too much for the U.S. But at the end of the day, it was Giassi Zardes who got 
a late goal off to win the game, much like in the quarterfinal when Matthew Huppy scored hella late for the U.S. against Jamaica. USA one nothing victors there. Again, Qatar looked the much better side. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they definitely took US, the U.S. to the edge. And, I mean, it's an interesting story that's been going on with the U.S. and scoring these late goals and being in these predicaments that I think normally you wouldn't call the U.S. to be in. But as, as you mentioned a while back, their squad, uh, you know, a bunch of MLS players, um, not the most experienced amongst them all. Greg Berhalter, does he know what he's doing? We don't know. But um, they're pulling out late wins, and uh, they did the same thing against Qatar, who, um, as you said, very much deserved to be in the final. But a late goal undid them. Yeah, man, and a fucked-up penalty, too. (laughs) How did he fuck that one up? Apparently, there was a decent amount of Qataris at the stadium in Austin, from, uh, from what I saw. Man, they rode deep. Hey, man, they're getting ready for the Vaults Cup. But... Their opposition in the final is Mexico, who didn't have an easy time of it against Canada. Now, this, uh, to me, was a match worth watching. It was. Um, Canada, we mentioned last week, came with the flair. Um, they look like they really want to take this tournament. And the way in which that they're playing really shows that they can do it or they could have done it. And it just seems like the universe had to have Mexico versus the USA because I... After watching this match in 90 minutes, I'm shocked. Um, and I, it's really tough to see and believe that Mexico won this match. The scoring started off uh, just before the end of the first half with a penalty, courtesy of Orbelin Pineda, won the Mexico. And from there, Canada did not lie down and take the L. They brought it to Mexico. And for the rest of the second half, I would argue, um, 57th minute, Tejon Buchanan gets a, gets a goal with his his courtesy of Mark Anthony K. It's 1-1. And from there, midway through the second half, Mexico get themselves a penalty. And from here, as I mentioned, you were thinking the universe called it. They've got to play the USA in the final. It just has to happen. But Carlos Salcedo misses the penalty. Boom. And if, if, you, know, if you know sports, momentum can shift from a moment like that. Oh, and did and did momentum ever shift in this game? It was a game full of momentum swings. Woo-hoo! And from there, Canada took took it back to Mexico. Um, unfortunately, no goals left to be scored. However, in the dying minute, when we thought this game was going to extra time, for sure, in the dying seconds of the match, with nine minutes on the clock of extra time, in the ninetieth plus nine, it would be Mexico to break Canada's heart. Hector Herrera scores, leaves it as late as you possibly can, and the universe got its wish. It was meant to be. Mexico wins 2-1. Canada bowed, but great tournament from them, great showing. And, I mean, hopefully this means, you know, they can carry this uh, momentum on despite a loss because they got some quality. They got some quality. Um, Canada, yes, they do have some quality. Um, I don't know if it's the match of the universe wanted so much as the matchup that people who pay CONCACAF's bills wanted. There you go. And by the universe, I think I'm in CONCACAF. <laughs> <laughs> um, because let's be honest, we were watching both these games. Qatar and Canada were the better sides. Like, we could be watching Qatar versus Canada right now. And if that were the case, we probably might not even be recording during the final. But Absolutely. it, it, it would have been an absolute interesting final. 
this just goes to show that Qatar is going to be a team to, you know, really look out for for the World Cup. And yeah. Canada, they're in the World Cup qualifying process. They have a chance, yeah, for everybody uh, looking on the outside in who may not be keeping up as much uh, and might be assuming that Qatar as a host nation is, you know, one of those that just does just that, just hosts. Um, no, they, they look like they might, you know, threaten some teams here. And very exciting to see what they got going on. Facts. Yeah. Um, let's quickly talk about some CONCACAF embarrassments. Uh-oh. Um, one, if Qatar were to have won this game, and if they were to have won this tournament, it would have been hella embarrassing for CONCACAF, where you let a team from outside your region win your flagship tournament. Despite how good they were, you still let them outside teams win it. Oh, absolute dishonor. If Qatar would have took the W, it would have been absolutely embarrassing. You're right. Yeah, what, what, what can you say about that? Your two powerhouses are in, despite the teams that you put out, and to have a team like uh, Qatar come in and clean up your tournament, oof, duh. And the U.S., I guess, maybe might have realized that uh, and were able to pull out the W. I mean, like, they had to have won that game. Because at least it gives, for lack of a better term, legitimacy to CONCACAF. Yeah, yeah. and we talked about it a couple of pods ago when we had the 4Ps podcast uh, on with us. You know, you, I think, I remember you mentioning specifically, you know, some of the reasons why CONCACAF and, you know, the tournament as a whole isn't taken as seriously or just the sport. The sport of footy over here hasn't been taken as seriously and due to many things, corruption or just, you know, what what have you. But it certainly wouldn't have been a good look. Wouldn't have been at all. And um, in terms of actual CONCACAF nations, we mentioned Hector Herrera scoring his goal 90 plus 9. The only reason why the game even got on to that point was because, yet again, during this match, we saw a pause because of the discriminatory chanting. It's got to be some kind of bullshit because if, if the Mexican fans are doing this and then they and take, they capitalize on that or yeah, because of that. There was a substantial intermission, you could say, after the stadium announcement, and then the momentum shifted towards Mexico in a game where Canada at a point where Canada were looking like they could have gotten a late goal themselves to win. As for the chant itself, um, it's simple. If they're telling you just not to do it, and to the point where you could lose monies, you're at risk of not being able to watch your team play in Mexico for World Cup qualifying, or to the point where you might not even be allowed to even play at the World Cup, or even yet, Mexico is hosting the 2026 World Cup, to the point where they might strip that away from you, and you're about to risk all that for a word that's derogatory, and they're telling you, yo, stop this shit? Yeah. Um, it's clear that there's something that's got to be done about this, or something substantial that are at least let fans know that we're not fucking around, because it's gone on far too long, really. And, Since and, this and, summer started alone, we heard it at both Nations League games Mexico played. We saw it at a friendly against Iceland in Dallas. We saw it against Trinidad and Tobago in Dallas, first game of the Gold Cup, and we saw it here at the semifinal in Houston. Yeah, and I think the thing about it is that there's no signs of slowing down because there doesn't seem to be any sort of punishment that's meaningful. Right, so CONCACAF has this three-step protocol. Step one is a stadium announcement, a brief pause in the game. Step two, the players come off, 
until you know they get the culprits and stuff out of there. And step three is the match gets abandoned in every instance this summer that the chant has been heard. We have not gotten past step one. Yep. Yeah, you you just, you just might gotta go with the nuclear option at this point. I don't know what else you could do if you really want to stamp it out. Yeah, and I think there's like this and many other instances of derogatory and discriminatory behavior have yet to be punished on a level that will actually make players and fans hesitant to you know repeat offense, uh, offend these situations. But clearly, there hasn't been enough action on this part. We saw the same thing in the Europa League with Rangers and Slavia Praha. We didn't see any sort of punishment that was worth, um, I, in my opinion, um, that would deter players and fans from doing sort similar sort of things. And it's gonna, it's gonna continue to happen. I don't know what else you could do here. You gotta go with a nuclear option. But again, it's simple. If, why would you risk your team's participation at a World Cup practically just for that? I don't know, but... Um, that being said, um, the final is currently scoreless at halftime. And despite all that we just said, I still think Mexico will beat the U.S. because of their talent. And, yeah, they're, they're just a stronger side. Um, yeah, if the, first, if the second half is, is anything like the first half, uh, Mexico definitely will walk away with this here unless Matt Turner has more things to say about that. He's pulling the saves out to his ass. Um, but I am going to stand opposite you. I got the U.S. taking the dub here. And they got to do a lot more than have Matt Turner touch the ball that many times. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But that's it for international footy for now. We'll talk about the final more in detail next time on the Footy Misfits. But let's do a club whip around, shall we? Hey, let's do it. Um, I think real quick uh, off the top of the head, into the Premier League, Arsenal have secured the signing of centre-back Ben White from Brighton and Hove Albion. The young Englishman made his debut for the international English squad and has plenty of potential. I think the figure was somewhere around 53 million euro or and or pound, not sure exactly, but plenty of money. Arsenal fans seem to be excited about this. Uh, Pretty good defender, young lad. Um, it seems to be the center back uh, summer, uh, allegedly, because Real Madrid and Manchester United seem to be uh, sticking in the Premier League, of course, seem to be in negotiations for uh, French center back Raphael Varane. These have allegedly, allegedly been agreed for the boy, personal terms as well, I think, and he should be announced sometime soon, so they say, according to reports from journalists such as Fabrizio Romano, a.k.a. Mr. Here we go. Uh, nothing official yet. Another another center back on the on the uh, menu, if you will. Jules Kounde, who told told Spurs, "Yeah, I'm good. No thanks." Um, is allegedly um, in talks to play for Chelsea. His biggest gripe about playing for Spurs was that they are not in the Champions League. His current club Sevilla currently are. So if he was to move somewhere, he'd like a challenge. And that includes being in the Champions League. Chelsea seem to be in for him now uh, and trying to figure out a deal that may, may or may not include Kurt Zuma for the young French starlet. And lastly, before I get off the Premier League, Spurs themselves seem to be trying to take Atalanta's entire squad after uh, signing goalkeeper Pierre Luigi Golini, who I read 
Uh, apparently had some beef with the Atalanta either coach and or front office. Um, Spurs are trying to go for the double dip and get Serie A defender of the year, Christian Romero, who just won the Copa America with Argentina. Nothing is official yet, but I guess I guess nobody else is in form according to journalists, but we shall see. And that is the club roundup. As far as what I've got, Ronnie, you got anything to give there? I do have a couple of rebuttals to some of the things you said. One, Ben White costing 50 mil. It's crazy how, I guess we can say he's pretty much locked. He's gone for what thirty mil? No, Rafa, I think Raf uh, Varane was going somewhere around forty-seven million euro, which is in the low forties um, million for pounds. Christian Romero is another one. I think Spurs Atalanta trying to hit Spurs over the head for fifty-five million. So okay, so it's likely to be a forty-two million pound deal. Um, yeah, I can already hear the false equivalencies between Ben White and Rafael Varane. I can already hear them. Yeah, you know, we've seen uh, jokes on Twitter. Uh, we spent, you know, we're looking to spend 50 on Rafael Varane. You're spending 50 on Ben White. Chelsea, oh, look, we're spending that amount on Joe Kunde. You're spending it on Ben White, things like that. I guess we'll see. I mean, he, he is young, has potential. He's Premier League proven. Ben White, I, I mean. Uh, obviously, Rafael Varane is who he is. Who he is a four times Champions League winner um, and then some. World champion as well. Yep. So he's got it all, done it all, seen it all, been it all. Uh, we'll see if and when it is announced that he's to play for in the Premier League. We'll see how both of those guys do. But absolutely right, you are in that they are giving comparisons, and the joke's gonna fly regardless, ain't they? Um, Golini, I'm not surprised he has beef with people at Atalanta. Um, that's the reason why we saw Papu Gomez leave. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they kind of just shared shades of that. So I saw that and I was like, whoop, look at that. Looks like Spurs might take that option to buy, maybe. And Yeah, it seems, not to, not to get back on this one, but it seems as if uh, last season when he was in good favor, Atalanta were still looking to potentially ship him, but for double the price that they were willing to let him go for with Spurs. So there has to be some sort of issues, allegedly. And in, in terms of Cristian Romero, um, yeah, get that deal signed already. What's the holdup? And Barcelona apparently are trying to swoop in now. Yeah. Um, allegedly at the moment, Spurs are the only team in official contact with Atalanta, but they just won't budge on the price. And I would say I'm surprised, but if I know one person, it's Daniel Levy. And my boy drives a hard bargain. Romero, he's going to tell the Atalanta board that he wants out and Spurs are his number one priority. This is all according to, here we go. I don't really have much other club footy notes on my mind. Um, a lot of people this week were raving at the Venezia kicks that were dropped with me. I don't know if you got a chance to look at those. I think they look pretty good. Pretty decent. I just looked at the Venezia kit. It's, it's kind of fire. Yeah, they, they look pretty dope. But I'm, I, I like those. And over in France, well, Technically, Israel, little defeated PSG one nothing in the Trophée de Champion, the French Super Cup. They won that, and their season begin this upcoming weekend. Lille will begin against Metz away, while PSG begin against Troyes, a team recently promoted from Ligue 2. I guess from here we could... Quick, we could briefly talk about Ligon's season. We're about to get started. 
Yep. Uh, I think the biggest thing to, to I think, in my opinion, well, first things first, um, Mauricio Pochettino did get a new contract extension from PSG, uh, mm-hmm. despite rumors that he may allegedly leave and whatnot. So he's locked in, it seems, for the near future. And after that loss, you know PSG fans who don't be having any sort of patience will be on his ass. Uh, I think, Ronnie, though, the biggest thing, Lille, defending champions, doing it again, beating PSG, it's, it's, it's still PSG's title to lose, eh? It still is PSG's title to lose, and albeit that was the French Super Cup, Lille looks like they are still hungry for more titles, or at least to contend. Yeah, still with the shits, clearly, it seems. Um, and that's and that's not this. That doesn't also take away from um, the other folks that were in the title race, deep into it. OGC, Nice, Lyon. Uh, so a bunch of teams that were pressing PSG all season long. Look um, at Monaco. And Monaco as well. My fault. But there is something to be said, I guess, that Pochettino, um, me being a Spurs fan, knowing um, how he works, uh, allegedly does much better with a preseason. He does like his players to be some sort of fit. But regardless of that, PSG spending money out the ass. Uh, this is, uh, from what I read, the 10-year anniversary of the Qatari owners uh, investing into the club. So I imagine and how did they is. celebrate? They bought in Ramos, Wijnaldum, Hakimi, Donahue. What a way to celebrate your 10-year anniversary. Facts. And I think they'd like no other better way to celebrate than a Champions League win. Is a Champions yes. League a bus for PSG? It is a must for PSG because they could they could probably win league on again. Um, let's be honest, they they might even do just that. See, they are hungry for the Champions League title. They got so so close in 2020, losing out to Bayern in the final. They want that sensation again. They were in the semifinal this time around. Um, losing to Manchester City. Yeah, getting absolutely smoked by Manchester City. <laughs> Walloped. But yeah, um, that's their goal. They want. Or nothing. should I say, Riyad Mahrez? Sorry, <laughs> he did do the damn thing. They want nothing less than the Champions League. If they win Ligue 1 again, or if they just win Le Coupe du Fond, there's gonna be a failure. They they want that Champions League. I'm gonna be the big hater on here, and I'm gonna say a team not PSG wins the title again this time around. What be it Lille, be it Monaco. Monaco looked like they're a lot better this time around. They they turned on the Jets late last season. They're the Champions League this time around. Monaco might give teams a run for their Munties. Yeah, I think uh, all the more reason to be excited about league on this season. The one horse race is turning from more into a uh, in, into a one horse race into you know something worth keeping up with. Uh, I'd love to see Lille continue to put pressure on PSG. Uh, let's be honest with the players that PSG just got. I think Hakimi alone adds so much to that team. Uh, so Hakimi is honest. amazing. Facts. That's your man's. Um, it is. And that's Real Madrid's mistake, too. Oh, forever their mistake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Ain't that some shit? But, yeah. So, hopefully uh, these teams will continue to put some pressure on PSG and make this league interesting. Uh, we shall see, though. Uh, league on begins August 6th. Back at it again for another one. Yeah. Yes, sir. Monaco and Nantes kick the season off in France, which also means we are shortly coming to the point where the biggest little cup will be up for grabs again. LV is the current title holder of the Weekend Predictions Cup, but Spencer and I, we're going to look to take that away from him. 
Have your one season with the and get out of here. Listen, I'm trying to keep that thing back here. So, I mean, hope my my whole only thing is if I do lose, I just hope that our overall percentages can go up. 35%. We, we were on that sort of percentile. Oh, no, we have no percentage. We, we're doing straight W's and L's because we got Spencer <laughs> joining us off rip this time. Yes, yes, let's get it. So I'm excited to defend my chip. Uh, listen, I'm ready for y'all, man. We'll see what happens because I started the season off slowly and I built up as the season went on. Uh, yeah, I would say that that was BS, which brings us to that time, LB. Hey, you telling <laughs> me that is BS of the week time? <laughs> BS of the week time it is. Um, I'll get this going right away. So I'm going to go to news that broke last weekend. It probably broke while we were recording or after the fact. So Derby County, they are in... I don't even know a bad situation is even good to put it because their situation is terrible. Um, <laughs> so what happened here? So Derby County was in a bit of a train. Wayne Rooney, because they don't have that many first team players on the squad, he was like, he suited up. They have nine senior players registered. So he, so Wayne Rooney's taking part and midfielder Jason Knight they're both going in for a 50-50 tackle. And Wayne Rooney went in for Knight's ankles to the point where he sidelined his own mans for three months. So if you're doing the maps, that's nine first-team players down to eight. Ah, damn. And the coach did it. <laughs> the coach did it. What are you doing going in for lunges like that? One. Read the room. You only have nine first-team players. I'm saying nine players, and you go for lunges? <laughs> Y'all should be playing flag football. <laughs> I'm not what I'm saying. I don't know what this man was thinking. He's 36. He looks like an old 36. He looks like 56. He'll look younger than he did when he was 19. And you got to feel for Jason Knight. Homeboy's going to miss three months of the season because your boss fucked you up. Um, but Derby County, in general, they get BS the week because what are you doing with just nine players? <laughs> Their situ financial situation is a lot more complex. Apparently, they falsified their books. Oh, shit. <laughs> Look, Nate Archibald over here. That's a gotcha girl reference. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is crazy. BS of the week, Wayne Rooney, Derby County, has a staff, regular label, football club, and I think crew. Wow, bars. Great reference. It is your turn, LV. Tell us what you got. Oh, sorry. Speaking of a staff, record label, and as a MF and crew, Real Madrid, we spoke about they be making the funny moves. I don't know if they're dumb or broke. I don't know if they're lying about being broke. I don't know anymore. It was reported this week, however. Uh, we know that uh, Real Madrid went ahead and signed uh, Austrian defender David Alaba. Class player. He does it all. Can hit free kicks. Can defend. You know the rest. And not, ain't nothing wrong with signing David Alaba. He's still a great player at his age. Seems like he's got the potential in the class. Not even potential. The class and the quality to play for a club like Real Madrid. He's coming from Bayern Munich. He's a Champions League winner. The guy's done it all pretty much. Now the issue here is uh, Der Spiegel, a publication, I'm assuming it's German, has leaked David Alaba's contract uh, over the past week. And boy, is that man getting paid from Real Madrid. 
he's allegedly supposed to earn over 115 million euro over the length of his five-year contract. That's a quote from a, from a Twitter, Emia Sanmia. Gotta quote your sources. Um, so he's getting paid 115 million euro over the course of five years. Uh, so it's, that's about 19 and a half million uh, euro per year. Ridiculous. Also got a bonus of 17 million as a sign-on fee. And then his agent got a five million commission. And then Alaba's family got six million. So safe yeah, to say they threw, they threw some bread at the boy. Uh, now that being said. Some bread at the boy. <laughs> they threw a lot of bread. They threw the loaf. <laughs> the whole <bakery. laughs> so, my BS comes in. We've seen the reports that Madrid are struggling for money. We've seen Fiorentino Perez yelling from the top of the mountains, "We're broke. <laughs> we can't afford it." <laughs> and when you see stuff like this, it's like, damn, hundred million euro over the course of five years. You're sending his family six million euros. I mean, that's nice and all, but you wonder where this money's coming from. And to top it all off. Getting rid of center backs like Rafael Varane and then treating Sergio Ramos in the way that they did, giving him a pay cut. I'm going to be honest, David Alaba is pretty nice. Sergio Ramos is also pretty nice. And Rafael Varane, who's younger and arguably one of the best center backs in the world. There was no money for them neither? It seemed like there was. I don't know. So, with all that being yeah, said. Got, the way they got rid of their center backs is crazy. Wow. And like with wild. their main duo, like, oh my gosh, Real Madrid is dumb. They're over here giving uh, Rafael Varane for arguably a discount to Manchester United if it, it does in fact happen. Uh, they let Sergio Ramos, who's still playing at a very high level, just walk away. Um, so there's that. One season, apparently he's done. I don't get it. Unbelievable. Uh, so these are two guys who are obviously proven winners, <laughs> mad Champions Leagues and World Cups between them. Um, and they went ahead and chose to sign David Alaba and throw 100 million euro over five years to the guy. So I don't know what's going on with Real Madrid, but big BS of the week. Y'all don't know what to do with money, it seems. I'm confused. So Real They're Madrid, like the government printing out money for the vibes. It seems like it. Uh, Real inflation, if you will. Um, but anywho, uh, BS of the week, Real Madrid. What the fuck is going on over there? Mm. We could ask our friend over that the encyclopedia spends Tanica, but I don't think he has the answers. Yeah, I, I think it. Oh, here we go. No comment. <laughs> you sound like, <laughs> sound like Fiorentino Paris. And he's still trying to get the Super League idea off the ground, too, which is wild on its own. Yeah, he's trying to find out where the money's going, where the money about to come from. <laughs> Anywho, before before Real Madrid spend any more money while we're still potting, and before USA or Mexico score, Ronnie, do you want to go ahead and sign the boys off? We thank you all for listening to episode fifty-two of the Football Misfits podcast. We appreciate your listenership. We appreciate your interactions on socials. We will have a detailed look at the. Upcoming finals, we have the Gold Cup final, which is ongoing. We got to talk about that in a little bit more detail. The Olympic finals and the start of the new seasons. We'll get that all for you next time we are on. Watch this space for LV and Spencer. I go by the name of Ronnie. We will see you then. Stay strong. Be brave. Don't print out money like Real Madrid. Adios, mi gente. Woo, this ain't got nothing to do with footy, but that new Serena Williams dad movie. Oh, that looks good.
Uy. <laughs> <laughs>